My name is Dr. Chris L. Hickey, Sr., the author of Admired Man Why, The Making of an Admired Man. If you haven't published a book yet, please finish your book. Welcome to Please Finish Your Book, the show where busy people became published authors. Listen as they share their story along with practical tips that you can use to get your book finished. Now, here's your host and father to an amazing son, John P. Thank you, Erica, and thank you, authors and soon-to-be published authors, for listening and sharing this show. If you haven't shared this show yet, you can do so from the website by clicking the social media icons. If you're listening to this show with a mobile app, your app has sharing buttons within it to share the episode. You can also just copy and paste the website, pleasefinishyourbook.com, and drop it into an email message or into a text message and send it for free to everyone that you know. (laughs) Because when you share, you care. (laughs) Thank you very much. This will help other people learn about the show and hopefully gain inspiration to finish writing their own books. Yes, I'm a father to an amazing son who is now an adult. He's married and he's passionate about life. My son is a man that I admire because he's creative and he's also an action taker. Every time I listen to this show, I think about my son because he created the music that you hear at the beginning and end of this podcast. I myself grew up without a father in the house. I was raised by a wonderful single mom. She worked at a college and found male mentors that I admired, and they gave me fatherly advice that I needed at different stages of my life. When I was a teenager, my mom finally set aside some time in her life to have a boyfriend, and he became someone that I instantly admired for his accomplishments and for his ability to just have fun. And those are things that came in handy for me when I was raising my son. When I joined the military, oh, there were abundance of Marines that I admired after hearing their stories and seeing them in action. Today's guest was also raised in a single parent household without a father. And now he is the CEO and president of the Admired Man Leadership Institute where he lectures, facilitates workshops, and conducts a comprehensive train-to-trainer curriculum where participants earn a training certificate based on his book, Admired Man Why? The Making of an Admired Man, and based on research that resulted from his doctorate degree. I admire this author for many things, especially for the work he has done to help thousands of high schoolers prepare for college with his SAT prep workshops. Please listen closely as Dr. Chris L. Hickey Sr. shares his book, his background with us, along with his experience and advice on finishing a book. Welcome to the show, Chris. What is this book about? Well, this book is a collection of stories that people have told me around the country about a personal man in their life they admire. I asked them to name a man they admire. Why? And did they grow up with their father in their life? And so through those questions, we're able to encapsulate the common quality and characteristics and behaviors of admired man through people's stories. Through stories, of course, we understand what it means to them and how they feel about these qualities and characteristics. And so I share these stories in this book that people have shared with me around the country. Who is this book written for? Well, initially I had in mind men. Primarily men. I wanted to be able to share with men uh, these stories and so that they could get a feeling themselves about the kind of qualities they could have. But interestingly enough, 
sixty percent of the people I interviewed were women, and <laughs> they seem to have a, a lot more interest in the book than men. And a lot of women they want to buy it for their men. They want to buy it for their fathers and their husbands and their sons. Why did you put this book together? Well, the the book is really something with respect to uh, fathers uh, was something that kind of resonated with me my entire life. I grew up without my father in my life, and it was something that. You know, I had an experience growing up uh, where it was very painful. I grew up, it was kind of a painful experience, and so I made some promises to myself that I would be in my children's life uh, and that they wouldn't have to go through that kind of experience. And as it turned out, I did do that. But interestingly enough, after my children grew up, and moved on, I found myself in a bit of a depression. And I didn't understand why, because I had fulfilled what I thought was my dream. And so I started studying it. I started studying uh, hmm. relationships that fathers have with their children and discovered that although I had the kind of relationship as a father, I still had father hunger myself. I had not gone through the complete cycle. And so as Upon discovering that, I figured I wanted to study more on it. I studied it as my doctoral dissertation, and even with that, I still wanted to go further. So I went beyond just fathers. In the book, I wanted to talk about men because one of the things that I learned is that as a man, we have multiple roles. Yes, we are fathers, and that's a significant role, but we're also brothers, and we're also uncles and cousins and grandfathers and things of that nature. And so that's kind of the... the the motivation for the book is searching for myself answers for myself on why I was going through these different kinds of emotional experiences related to not having my father in my life. Quality behavior characteristics. What does that mean? Well, what that is, is again, I, I collected stories and I actually did statistics on the things, the, the kind of emotions people expressed to me. And so they, it, it turned out that regardless to the man that they admired, uh, for example, their father their brother, their uncle, etc., there were some common things that popped up with respect to the things that they admired, and I called those the quality characteristics and behaviors. And so the book is broken down into those into chapters based on those common quality characteristics and behaviors. For example, the number one quality characteristic behavior that people admired in a man, regardless of his role, was being a family man. And so there were people that admired their father because he was a family man, but there were other people that admired their neighbor because of the kind of family man he is. And then the second quality characteristic behavior was hardworking. People admired men that they perceived as being hardworking. And so the book is broken up into those chapters, those top five quality characteristics and behaviors that I was able to, to capture from the stories. And so each, each of those chapters basically target those particular uh, quality characteristics behaviors. Now, needless to say, there's no fine, thin line, or there's no thick line between the qualities and characteristics. Generally, if someone was, was a, a good family man, he was also hardworking or caring and loving. Uh, but I did kind of highlight the top five things that people seem to, to appreciate and admire, and I call them quality characteristics and behaviors. Gotcha. So those five things. So one was hardworking. What were the others? Well, the top one was 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 family. Uh, family. Family. Gotcha. And then the second one was hardworking. Okay. Uh, the third one, I should know this by heart, uh, was loving. Uh, uh, and then honest. 
and then fatherly and and which is also very interesting because the top person a role was father but that was not the top quality characteristic <laughs> the, quality, wow. the characteristic was family and father was fifth uh, however, the top role was being a father. So people admired, by and large, people admired their father, not for the, some of the common things that we think of with respect to being a father, but they respected and admired their father when he was a family man. What's your favorite area or section or, or chapter of the book? Wow, that's a that's a good one because I, I loved them all, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, people had, mm-hmm. again, a very, very engaging and touching stories. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I like family. I particularly like family. Mm-hmm. I like the things that people said about men that showed, you know, very, very strong family quality characteristics and behaviors. Um, and also, I, I might mention that although I was asking people to name a man they admired, there were a few people that named men that they did not admire. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and sometimes they would tell me the reasons. And interestingly enough, the reasons they did not admire certain men were the antithesis of the things that other people admired. They were the same thing. Mm-hmm. They weren't family men or they weren't loving and they weren't caring or hardworking and honest. The next segment of the show, we call it the rap session. Are you ready to rap for us? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. The rap session is basically reading a portion of the book. And Chris is going to read a small portion of the book for us to kind of give us a little bit more insight into the book. So whenever you're ready, go for it. Okay. Well, I'll start off with who I am. During the second or third week of school, it was announced by one of the gym teachers, who I might add was the first men I had been exposed to for years that I had any respect for announced the school's annual Father-Son Night. They handed out flyers that described a wonderful night of fun for us to take home and invite our fathers. Since the flyer did not say Mother-Son Night, there was, of course, no reason for me to take it home. Not uh, Not that that would have mattered, in that my mother had not spent very much time doing things like attending school events. In the days leading up to Father-Son Night, this was all that was talked about by most of the boys at the school. My friends and I talked endlessly about how much fun we were going to have running around and playing at school as much as we wanted without the interruption of classes. I couldn't wait. Then it came, Father-Son Night. I will never, ever forget or get over the agonizing pain I suffered that night. I went up to the school anticipating the fun I would have, dressed in the same clothes I wore all day, expecting the same from my friends. My friends were there all right, but they were dressed, as my fifth grade teacher would have described, like they were intelligent, with their fathers. Along with their, along with their fathers, there was they were having fun conversations with gym teachers about things dads and sons talk about. Their behavior was not at all what I had seen and anticipated. They had respect for their fathers, and their fathers showed respect for them. The gym teacher had respect for both the boys and their fathers. I was devastated. I could scarcely feel the shame I had through the debilitating pain in my chest. It seemed that everywhere I turned and everywhere I looked, people turned their back. I was nobody at all. I felt worthless. It didn't take long at all for the tears to move up from deep in my heart and roll from my eyes back down to my chest. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Well, I, I get choked up even as I read it today. I mean, I've, I've relived that over and over in my life, and I'm, I'm still amazed at how choked up I get uh, because that's how 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 impactful it had had on me. And one thing I learned through my interviews is is that kind of thing impacts men all over the world. Hello, current and future published authors. This is John P. Raise your hand if you have not subscribed to this podcast yet. 
Ah, I see a bunch of hands in the air. Okay, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, iPhone, or the iPad. Now, if you're an Android user, you can subscribe on Stitcher. There are videos on the webpage at pleasefinishyourbook.com with instructions. Speaking of videos, there's a really neat demo at the bottom of the webpage where I'm using an Amazon Echo to play this podcast. Scroll to the bottom of the webpage and watch that demo. Now, back to the show. All right, we're going to find out a little bit more about you. Where did you grow up and what stands out about your childhood? Well, I, I grew up in the Nicholson Garden Housing Projects in Los Angeles. And um, in, in spite of, you know, the story that I just told, uh, the thing that stands out most about me for me is my mother. Uh, my mother was profoundly influential to me. And, you know, I, 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 I credit her for all of the, the, the smarts, if I can, that I have. Uh, my mother taught me to read. Uh, I was telling someone the other day that when I was a kid, I could not go by any place without, if there was some writing, my mother made me read it. Uh, hmm. She always made me speak up. Uh, she would go to community meetings sometimes, and uh, she became politically active, and she would go to these meetings, and she would always want me to say something. Uh, I, 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 I remember fondly how she would meet dignitaries, like even the mayor, and she, hmm. she wouldn't introduce me to them. She would introduce them to me. She would say, I want you nice. to meet my son, Chris. And she always she always said it in a way that I was the most important person. And so that's the thing that that really sticks out. Uh, my mother's insight, in, in spite of, you know, some things that I wish were different. She had incredibly insight with respect to teaching me critical thinking and to make us away from myself. She never let me feel sorry for myself. I I had to make it away. And she always influenced me and talked to me about I could make my life what I wanted it to be as long as I continue to study, work hard hard and read and and this is where I got my passion for writing I was always a reader and so that's the thing that sticks out uh, that that I I, I I made it because of the mm-hmm. influence of my mother what did you want to be when you grew up actually I, I, I wanted to write I wanted to oh. write uh, as a kid I would I would I would write I thought I was writing novels. I got into James Bond uh, novels, Ian Fleming's books, and I oh, wow. loved them. He had a string of them, and so I started trying to write uh, spy books uh, when I was a kid. <laughs> you know? And uh, I never finished any of them, but I always started writing a spy book. You know, I had a mm-hmm. tremendous imagination, and I think I got that imagination reading in Ian Fleming's books. Uh, that was, you know, James Bond 007 books. Right. And so uh, I wanted to be a writer, ultimately. And I, I lived most of my life, you know, wanting to ha- be able to make a living writing. And so f- I'm not making a living doing it right now, but I'm I'm definitely living doing it. Yes. Nice. Nice. Actually, so did I. I wanted to be a writer as well growing up. Did that right at the brink of when hip hop was getting going and I decided to perform. I was also in theater as well. So I used those three combinations, theater, uh, my love for writing short stories and my love for writing poetry and combined them together into rapping. Oh, well, see, that's interesting because I was a jazz musician in high school ah. and it was the same thing. I, I wrote music. I wrote uh, band yeah. charts and it was the same thing. For me, it was no different than writing, you know, text. It was mm-hmm. an expression of what I felt and I could see I can see in my text music and I can see in my music text. And so it was yes. the same thing. And uh, I, I very much enjoyed uh, playing music when I was in school. I, I, I was fortunate enough to go to a high school with a fabulous uh, music program, and we have some considerable 
professional musicians that came out of there. So I, I went to high school with people that are professional musicians now, very well-known professional musicians. So nice. I, I'm very happy about that. And so that was another Good. way I expressed myself was through writing and playing music. Nice. Now, after high school or college, what career did you find yourself actually spending the most time in? I've actually found myself most of it training. Uh, you know, worked hmm. for Kaiser in UCLA. Before that, I was in the technology. I got my master's degree in educational technology. Oh, and okay. So I worked at uh, a middle school and a high school as a director of technology. But everything I did, as I had mentioned in my discovery, everything I did evolved around my kids. I see. And so my kids went to those schools and oh. I was so involved in, in my kids, I ended up working at school. I always tell people, <laughs> the kids were there first, but was I was okay. so involved that the school said, you know what, you might as well work here, you know, because wow. you're here all the time. And yeah. so I spent uh, uh, some of, most of my career, the beginning of my career as a technologist working at schools. And once my kids graduated from the schools, I lost interest in that, but I, I was still interested in the technology, and that's when I worked, went to work for Kaiser as a trainer. What passion or hobby outside or away from writing did you find yourself in life doing the most? I would probably say music. Yeah, I, I loved writing music. Uh, again, it was a way to express myself and be creative. Uh, but And again, everything I did revolved around my kids. While my kids were growing mm -hmm. up, I, day and night, you know, I spent time with them. We had a lot of fun. I would always take them places. Mm -hmm. Every day they weren't in school, we would go someplace and have fun. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was, a, again, it was my way of, 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 of making up for what was lacking in my own childhood. So my passion most of the time was spending time with my kids doing all sorts of things. Uh, and then uh, bef just before that, of course, I was a musician and playing music. I love doing that. Now, Chris, tell us about a, a personal hardship that you feel shaped you into the person you are today. I, you know, I thought about that question and it's a difficult one uh, because mm -hmm. I, I really never felt hardship. Okay. You know, I, uh, I, I like to tell people that when the 65 riot happened, that's, and I was reading about it, that's when I discovered I was poor uh, because they, mm -hmm. they wrote it they said we was poor. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I never felt hardship. I just, and I, again, I attribute my mother to that. Uh, there were no excuses. You know, whatever you needed, you go out and find out how to get it and you get it. And mm -hmm. so the food we had, I, you know, we lived in the housing project. There were a lot of friends around and a lot of things to do all of the time. And so I never really felt hardship. I learned about hardship and then reflected back and said, OK, we were in poverty and there were things we didn't have. But as I was living it, I didn't feel that way other than the, the, the relationship with my father. Uh, and I managed to, again, even then I had that painful night, maybe a few others, but I got over that because then I was determined to do something about it. Uh, and I started studying then, you know, the qualities of a good man. And, and I didn't have many around me to, 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 that were modeling it. But so, but I learned a lot about what not to do. And so <laughs> right. I was, I was kind of involved in that as a kid, just paying attention to the things that were, that when I went to high school and I met my music teachers, they, they had a profound effect on me. I was extremely impressed by my music teachers, uh, in high school. Uh, and so they had the kind of qualities that I started trying to adopt. And some of my classmates that were, were already professional musicians, I kind of mm. tried to, to adopt those things. But with respect to hardships, I 
they were there, but I was blind to it. Uh, be, and I, again, I attribute that to my mother. She did not make excuses for even her own situation. She she did things, some things she should not have done, and she lived up to them. And, you know, she paid the price for it while my mother was incarcerated. Uh, but she didn't allow us to feel bad about it. She she did things she knew she was doing, and she knew that would be the price she'd have to pay. And she explained wow. that to me, even before she mm-hmm. was incarcerated, that she was doing wow. things that when she gets caught, she was going to probably have to be incarcerated. and wow. And I was going to be the man. And, yeah, so, and so what age were you when when she was she, incarcerated? I was I was about 14 or 15. Okay. Uh, and she wasn't long, maybe a year and a half. Uh, okay. And I visited her a lot, but I I don't recall ever crying about it. Uh okay. and she wasn't a tough person, she was a loving person. And so her explanation to me was in love and said you're going to be the man, you know, I'm having to do what I have to do unfortunately and you know if I get caught I'm going to have to do some time and and you're going to be the man and your brothers are, I was the oldest, your brothers and sisters are going to look up to you and what you do they're going to do. So, you know, I and I accepted that. I accepted whatever my mother told me uh because wow. she, she took care of me. She she wow. taught me the things that that I needed to know. And they, they still resonate with me now with respect to whatever I need. I have to go out and get it. You know, I, I don't do things that will land me uh, incarcerated. <laughs> I learned that, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> at least I don't think so. Uh, but uh, I know how to, how to, how to make it happen. And without excuses, you make it happen. If you don't know, you learn. Yeah. Nice. Thank you for sharing that with sure. us. Before you started writing on this particular book, what personal accomplishment or unique talent were you most proud of? Of course, you know, there's a number of things. Of course, I, I really, really did. I was very proud of what I did with music. Uh, okay. When I went over to to Lock High School that had the professional musicians, they did not know at the time. I didn't learn how to play music until I got in high school. I originally went to Jordan High School for a year and a half. So when I went into Jordan, I did not know anything about reading music or playing hmm. music. So about a year after being at Jordan, I went over to Lock, and they thought I was great uh, because I worked hard at it. Uh, yeah. And so I was very, very proud of, of the kind of musician I was uh, when I got over there with, with professionals like Patrice Russian and Dugu Chancellor and, and Gerald Albright. Well, he came later, but, you know, those that caliber of music. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, Patrice. Gerald Albright and Patrice Russian. Oh, wow. yeah. Patrice, yeah. I was, I'm older than Patrice. <laughs> and she used to sit next to me and I would show her things. Because you know, she was just out of junior high school. Now, of course, at that time, I did not know that was Patrice Russian. Oh, <laughs> right. Patrice, okay. You know, she became Patrice Russian later. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yes, uh, so I, I'm very proud of that. And we're still very, very good friends. So I'm very proud of that. And ultimately, though, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. And I hate to sound like a broken record. I'm proud of the relationship I have with my family, you know, my wife I and see. my children. Um, I worked hard at that. And they're adults now. And I'm a grandfather now. Uh, of Congratulations. Yeah, two, a two-year-old and a one-month-old. And I'm, wow. I'm, I look at my children at the kind of parents they are and, they, and their accomplishments. And I'm very, very proud of that. And, and I know the role that I played in that. And, uh, yes. and so going back to 65, I made a promise. And I feel really good, John, that I fulfilled it. I did it. I did what I said I would yeah. do. Yeah. You set the example. Yes, sir. Back to books. Yes, sir. Which book do you wish you were the author of? Um, 
They, oh, uh, well, I, I really, when I was growing up, I really liked reading uh, books that were kind of psychological in nature. Body language had a profound effect on me, the book Body Language, and on becoming a person. Uh, books of that nature, I, I really liked sociological and educational books, and I would have loved to have been the author of Body Language. It just talked about, you know, being able to read body language and, and interpret what what the intentions are of people. So, you know, I, I, I really, that's one of my favorite books of all time, body language. And I think second, on becoming a person. And books like I'm Okay, You're Okay. You know, I loved mm -hmm. books like that. You know, and even nice. even the books about this book and the one that I'm writing now, I, I can see the influence of those books in my own writing. This is John P., Hey, want a free audiobook? Go to pleasefinishyourbook.com slash free audiobook or click the Audible logo on my webpage at pleasefinishyourbook.com to start your 30-day free trial. I've been a member of Audible since the year 2000 and for the past 16 years, I've been listening to at least one to two new books every month. Think about it. I'm in the car three hours a day driving through Los Angeles traffic. Since I'm in the car driving for up to 60 hours every month, why not listen to a book with some of that time? Audible has over 180,000 audiobook programs to choose from. They're an Amazon company. So go ahead, register today for your free book before the promotion is over at pleasefinishyourbook.com slash free audiobook or click the Audible logo on my webpage at pleasefinishyourbook.com to get started. Now, back to the show. Now we're going to transition into your mindset as you were putting your book together. So we're going to get back into the book and a combination of some of the choices you made. Tell us the moments that led up to the book idea for your book, Admired Man, Why? I was looking for something to do when my kids went off, went to college and grew up. And so I got back into college myself um, because, again, I liked reading. I liked writing. And so I, I said to myself, well, get credit for it. If you're going to be reading and writing, you might as well get some credit. <laughs> <laughs> and so ultimately, I ended up in a doctorate uh, program in leadership. And I chose leadership because it allowed me the space to do what I wanted to do. You know, my master's was in educational technology, and I knew that if I pursued a doctorate in that, it would be about that. But leadership, uh, the particular program I went in, allowed you to, to select whatever it was that interests you in, and relate it to leadership. So I, I went into a doctorate program, and it turned out that I did my dissertation on the phenomenal son-father relationship experience. And again, it, was, uh, it allowed me space to study myself and people like myself. And after finishing that, I did a, a good job at that. I earned my doctorate, but I still wasn't done. I was really interested in just the phenomena of, of men on a deep level. I know what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, but on a deep level, the phenomena of our relationships with other people and how they perceive us in different ways and why. I wanted to, I didn't want it, while it's evidence-based and I do cite research that's done, I wanted to know it from grassroots level, from the emotions and feelings of regular people. So I went out of my way to make sure I found regular people and I crossed the country interviewing people. I would, if I was traveling to for work, 
when I was in airports, I was interviewing people because I, I have a very open nature in myself and people, you know, I'm, I'm able to walk up to people and start talking to them. And I, I generally create relationships very fast. And so even in the book, my they weren't just interviews where you hold a mic up and start asking. I create relationships with people first. And some of the some of the people I interviewed, I had dinner at their house, you know, and sometimes I had to come back to do the interview because we ended up having more fun than than interviewing because I had relationships with them. So uh, that's kind of the, the, the backdrop for where I was. I was I was enjoying it and learning a lot. And it wasn't about while it was about documenting it for a book, it wasn't about how much money I might make or anything like that. It was really about understanding and wanting uh, to get deeper understanding of the nature of, of not just men, too, relationships. I used men because that was my initial point of focus, but what I learned as I was going that this was about human nature and relationships that we have with each other and how we make each other feel and how the effects of how we make each other feel have on, on our whole lives. So that's kind of, of, of where I was coming from. You interviewed a lot of people for this and you went around the world yeah, yeah. for this. Give us an idea. Do you have like an estimated number of people that you interviewed? About 4,700 people. Whoa. 4,700. Now, they're, they were different. Not all of were face-to-face interviews. Some of them were surveys. Uh, but wow. even in the surveys, I, 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 I gave space for people to express themselves. And you'd be surprised how people will say the things they will say on a survey when you give them that space. And the nature <laughs> of my questions were such that it people knew that I was looking for something deep in them. I didn't want just 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 simple answers. I, I allowed space for them to get deep. Uh, but I did a lot of face-to-face interviews. And, and I call them interviews, but uh, again, like I said, they were they were more relationships. Uh, they were sometimes, and I wrote it in the book, that, that we ended up crying. You know, me and the person that I'm talking with, with both of us are crying because they would remind me of something in my past and, and they would reflect on something theirs. And we just had to suspend the, the, the talk uh, and just cry. And and, and that made us feel better. And I documented some of those. Uh, that's what some people needed. Some people, a lot of people said they hadn't talked about it in years. I was amazed at how I could go over in the inner city and run into to quote unquote gang members and just get out of my car and 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 and, and start talking with them. First they were skeptical, and then when I start talking, they loosen up, and then they would talk about you know the men that they admired or didn't admire, and 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 some of them admired each other. You know some. some Sometimes not, you know, not for the best reasons, but I allowed them that space. I wasn't judgmental. I allowed them that space. And, and they would always, when I leave, they felt appreciated you know, for the space to just say, instead of being judged, just to say what, what was in their heart. Uh, then they tell wow. me to you know, get in my car and get out of here. <laughs> but okay. you and I said, okay, you know, uh, the time yeah, you had a certain time limit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, but that was it. it it's um, okay. it's opening. Uh, what I what I learned most is being opening yourself. You know, that is how you get you know deep with people is when they feel like you're not judging them and that they can ask you questions. And sometimes people would ask me questions first. You know, yeah. so I would answer them, you know. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, it was I, I went wide and deep and I, I managed to even get some people, international people. Um, wow. And so particularly since I was in airports a lot, um, but it was creating a relationship with them first. 
and wow. then getting them to talk. And, and people love it. They love to tell you things that they've been holding inside yeah. when they don't feel that they're being judged. How long did it take to get that type of information? I mean, when did you actually, you know, put your foot down and, and start? Well, it started with my, with my doctoral. Uh, okay. okay. So I had started some of those interviews uh, because of my dissertation. My I see. So it, some of the work I had see. already started. Now, I about see. a year to two, about a year and a half after I was done, got my cap and gown, and I'm Dr. Hickey. Okay, I congratulations. That I wasn't done. Uh, I, still uh-huh. wanted, I, I still wanted to write. I and see. so I went back to my dissertation. I said, okay, what's missing here? And I said, okay, I learned a lot about father relationships, but what about men in general? So I was able to use some of those interviews, and then I just extended. I changed the question. I see. Because I wanted it a little broader, uh, and that's why I asked, you know, name a man you admired. I didn't ask that in my dissertation. I see. So, but, but I was able to use some of my dissertation. So with respect to how long it took, it took, I would say the interviewing part may have taken about four years. Okay. About four years. Most of it, two years. The last two years. Uh, for, for, it I didn't see. take me that long for the interviews for my doctoral. I used some of those. So about two years of interviews uh, for the book. Wow. And I'm a, I'm a very prolific writer. So the writing didn't take long at all. Uh, hmm. You know, so and of course, you know, I'm, I'm using interviews as well. But even the the, the writing around it, I'm, I'm a very prolific writer. So nice. that, that, the thing is, is that it's taking the time to write when I'm sitting down writing, yeah. it flows. But finding the time to do that. What type of tool did you use to capture these interviews as you were going around it? I mean, did you have a pen and paper? Did you scribble? You know what they said? Did you have a voice recorder? Did you use your phone? How did you capture to make sure that you got as much of that story that they were sharing with you? Yeah, I did use a voice recorder. Uh, You know, and I I asked them, is that okay? You know, I recorded. And they they said, yes. Some people said no. Uh, Some people didn't want to be interviewed. Uh, But most of them said, yes, it was okay to record them. And we did it in all kinds of, I remember interviewing people at the library in a little, you know, in the little booth in the library, the airport, (laughs) sometimes in the street. I'm at fast food. I mean, I carried my recorder with me everywhere. And so sometimes I'm at El Pollo Loco and I see somebody and I just, you know, I tell them what I was doing and can I talk to you? You know, and I didn't, I didn't say interview. I said, can I talk to you? Mm-hmm. I, I, rec- oh. I remember a, uh, one guy, he was a, kind of a homeless guy at a gas station around the corner from my house. And I've seen this guy for years and uh, just, you know, because he was there all the time. And I never paid much attention to him, but I did know, you know, recognize him. And I interviewed him. I went around and he recognized me because I'm always getting gas and we sat down on the curb. I had my recorder and interviewed him and it was really funny because months after I interviewed him he, he asked me so when's that book coming out <laughs> you know, no. you know, because, because it, it made him feel important you know yes. that I wanted to get his perspective on, on this on, on this issue and so yeah I, I had my voice recorder with me at all I times see. and I so see. I would, you know, and it wasn't a thing that I'm planning to go out and do interviews today. Mm -hmm. when, When I'm out doing whatever I was doing, I would see certain things. I would just, ooh. You know, I think this person will make a good person to interview. And I would stop. I would tell them what I'm doing and ask them, can I record our conversation? And, and that's nice. what it was, basically was. I'd ask them those three questions, but I'd let it be a conversation. I see. And I'd record those conversations. Very few, very rarely did I have pen and paper, you know, unless it was something uh, that I had set up previously. I see. Now, when collecting those types of story, 
stories in the book were the stories you know just anonymous or did you apply names to some of them or did you change names or yeah, I did I did ask did they want okay. to uh, I was gonna put a name Mm-hmm. Did they want me to use an anonymous name or their own name? And okay. most of them wanted to use their own name. Wow. They said it was fine. And it wasn't, I did, I did tell them that I, it wasn't going to be traced back to them. You know, very, okay. very right, few right, of right. them. Some people right. I point out that I know. And I'll, yeah. sometimes I'm doing a presentation, I'll say this person is in the book. But I got particular right. approval from them to do that. Uh, most of them, overwhelmingly most of them, I said, it's not going to be traced back to you. Uh, but I can use your name if you like. Uh, mm-hmm. So what I did, how I identified people in the book is I said their name, their age, their gender. Sometimes I said their, their, their ethnicity, if it was relevant to, the, to what they said, and, uh, and the city that they live in. Wow. Uh, and I was pretty... I, I kept pretty close to what was real there. Some people said they did, they didn't want their own name, and so I changed their name. But I would wow. stick with their gender and age and things of that nature. I'm looking at a four-year period, 4,700 interviews. You're getting your doctorate degree. I know your life was busy. Give us a, just a little glimpse into how busy your life was during this time while you were putting all this together. Well, it's interesting, John, in that because in you know some of my work history. I was working at... Uh, at one place uh, we worked mm-hmm. together and mm-hmm. and during the time I was enjoying working so much I wasn't working on my doctor degree that's where I was supposed to be mm-hmm. finishing my doctor degree and <laughs> I, but I, I really enjoyed my work I, I enjoyed yes. it just tremendously and so I was having so much fun working and then it got to the point that it got to a, to a point that I wasn't enjoying the work as much mm. and so I said, okay, you, Chris, you need to get yourself together. You need to finish up your doctorate. You've been working on it for too long. You need to finish and get it out of the way so that you can move on to some other things. And I did something that was kind of interesting in that one would think that I would say, okay, finish your doctorate degree and then change jobs. But I didn't. I changed jobs and finished my doctorate degree. I, you know, at the same time, hmm. I said, okay, I'm going to wow. change jobs because I <laughs> wow. need to just change my environment. And then I went okay. into a new job, but immediately started working on my, doc, you know, finishing up my so when I changed jobs, I was done with my with my dissertation two months later uh, wow. because I jumped right on it because it was just writing. I was at the yeah. writing part. And as I said, I'm a I prolific see. writer. Uh, yeah. So I had been sitting on it for two years and then finished it in, in two months. Uh, at the same time, I changed jobs be, because for me, I needed a whole change. I needed a whole mm-hmm. change. I was changing jobs, changing environment. I was enjoying my new job tremendously, but mm-hmm. I still took time each evening to finish my doctorate. Now, it was the book, again, didn't start until maybe two years after that, a few I years see. after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with that, you know, I was busy working, but, you know, I, I took the time to do it uh, because mm-hmm. it was something that... All along, even the doctorate degree, my end goal was to write a book. And so since I finished, and that's why I said I got to finish up this doctorate so I can move on to where I want to do. And that was write a book. Uh, I write some books. And so once I did the doctorate degree, I was ready, you know. Nice. So then it was like, okay, let's do this. What did you do for fun in between work and writing and Well, see, I I was fortunate, John. Work was fun. I enjoyed my job. Writing. I enjoyed what I was doing. I was a trainer. So I'm, okay. I'm, I'm standing in front of people explaining things. 
you know, okay. talking and being creative. Although we had a script, I was very creative in how I did it. You know, so I was having fun at work, a lot of fun. Uh, wow. The writing was fun, so everything I was doing was fun. So it was a matter <laughs> of finding time to have all this fun. You know, gotcha. There was no stress. I, I was particularly happy when my children were, were independent. They were doing what they needed to do. I didn't have any stresses related to my family, to my, my wife or my children. So it was all fun. It was just a matter of which fun, you know, it, which fun was the priority. Give us just a small piece, a small peek into what the editing process was like. If you can summarize that for us. Did you do most of the editing yourself? Did you hand it all off to someone else or a group of people to edit to help you organize it? What did that look like? I did a lot of the editing myself. I didn't ultimately hand it off to someone else, a professional. In fact, the lady that edited the book was the same lady that edited my uh, dissertation. Oh. And she was the daughter of one of my professors. So she was good at it. You know, she mm. knew how to do dissertation. So she did that. And I asked her, could she do the book? And she said, yes. Uh, but I, I did a tremendous amount of it myself. I made it very, very easy on her uh, with mm. respect mm. to editing it. I, uh, I don't have to do a lot of, you know, because I've been reading my whole life. I didn't have to do a lot of rewrites. I pretty much, and I know most people should re do rewrites. I, I don't. When I write mm. it, that's pretty much it. And, and that, I think that's just a, a special talent. I don't advise people right. to do that. Before I got into the training, I was an accountant. And I think oh. that being an accountant helped my mind is, is already thinks in a very organized way. And so the organization of the book and even mu music is, is accounting. There's a certain organization that, yeah. that when we're writing music, it has to have. So everything that I've done, there's a certain level of organization from accounting to writing music to writing books. It's the same kind of mm -hmm. kind of way that your brain has to think. And I'm proud to say she didn't change much. She didn't change right. much at all uh, because <laughs> I, I pretty much had an eye for for how I wanted it. And I, and I can spot for the most part, you know, everybody's going to have some spelling errors. But for the yeah. most part, I'm, I'm spotting the grammar. And sometimes I didn't use perfect grammar, but that was on purpose. You know, there was a purpose for, for using a particular kind of grammar because I wanted people to get the flavor. And I didn't change the grammar of, of, of the people I were interviewing. If they spoke in a certain dialect or a certain way, I wanted to maintain that. The integrity of, of who they were. Yeah, mm -hmm. But even outside of that, when I'm writing for myself, sometimes I'll use a particular grammar that that reflects, you know, what I want people to know about me. And, it's, and that it is not academic. You know, I, I like nice. to maintain who I, who I am. Yeah. So I'll say ain't. Because <laughs> that's what I'm gonna say at home. So tell us about about the title, "Admired Man." Why? How how did you come up with that title? I mean, was that the first title you thought of? Is that <laughs> something that just developed over time? Yeah. No that that was that was it. I have to say, I I came and interestingly enough, even my editor tried to talk me out of it. Uh, my son tried to talk me out of it because he said he didn't know what it meant. He said, what does that mean? I said, exactly. I want people <laughs> I want to say what it means. And so the subtitle, The Making of an Admired Man, my son and my editor convinced me to put that in so that it said a little bit more. Because it was going to be just Admired Man, why? Uh, and it, it, it just... It just, I don't know, it just, it touches me. Admired man was easy, but I like that. Why? You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I know that it makes people, I think it makes people wonder, what is that? Mm -hmm. And that's the effect that I wanted. I wanted people to question, what, 
is he talking about? And so I did add the making of a mind man to help a little bit and story skills and theory. You know, admire mm-hmm. man. Okay, you're an admire man. I didn't want to talk about admire man. I was more interested in why you're admired. Mm-hmm. You know? And even today, sometimes I'll stop young men on the street and I'll ask them, are they admired men? And they'll generally ask me, what do I mean? And and I'll just repeat it. Are you an admired man? Mm-hmm. And they'll generally say yes. But then you should see the expression they get when I say why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you I know, see. That, it, it, see. it conjures up a whole new... <laughs> A whole new question. So you even you end up questioning what admired man means. You know, right. when you asked why. Uh, yeah. So why is a, is a powerful, powerful word. And so I, I I stuck with that, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, it just it just I was interested in the book in why whatever it was why. What about the cover itself? The cover is another I, one. Um, my um, I had my own cover design. And I showed it. I, you know, I do a lot of talk with my son about things and, and run things by him. And he said, once he couldn't convince me on the name, he said, <laughs> Dad, you're not an artist. He said, you got to get a professional artist to do your cover. And I, you know, I said, no, I know what I'm doing. This is this is what this is my my vision. You know, so I uh-huh. had my own cover, and I said, this is my vision. I wanted my my title, my vision. He didn't argue with me. He just went out and found an artist and told him kind of what I was trying to do. And so he got a, a couple of artists to give some to do some mock-ups, and he brought them to me, and I was blown away. I said, "Oh my gosh, man, where you get this?" And he said, "That's what I was trying to tell you, Dad. You're not an artist. You, know, you need to get some, somebody that is to do it." And I, he paid them and everything, you know, for me, and then brought them oh, to me uh, because he could see that I wasn't going to bend on on it. So my son was responsible for the book cover. That also convinced me to use even my editor to look at it. I said, you know what, you got to get professional. There's certain parts of it you can't do, you know, mm-hmm. so let professionals do that. What new skill do you feel that you gain by going through the process of finishing this book? Knowing ahead of time, I didn't hear, but you're going to have to talk about the book. So think about the kinds of things you want to want to say about the book before mm-hmm. you write it so that you yeah. get those things in there. You know, so yeah. sometimes I find myself searching for what I want to say about the book by looking in the book. And so now my next book, I'm already thinking about what are you going to want to say about this book and make sure that that's in there, you know, that it's articulated in the book. So things like that, uh, just mm-hmm. more messaging kinds of things. And I found that, you know, you write a book and you think it's going to go on the shelf and then that's it. Well, I find that the, the, the hard work starts after the book is published because you have to do a lot yeah. of talking, you do speaking, I do workshops and things like that. Well, all of yeah. those things I didn't plan. Now I know uh-huh. when you uh-huh. get this book, you're going to have to go out on tour and talk about it. You're going to have to do presentations. So yeah. prepare for that. What kinds of things are you going to, you know, are you going to be talking about? You know, gotcha. and who you, you asked about the audience. Um be able to articulate who your audience is. You know, think about that. And now be flexible. One of the things that's very valuable is being flexible. But always have in mind, who is my audience? Who is my audience? Who is it going to be? So that you even, for example, like you said, the book cover. Make sure that if you know who your audience is, make sure your cover reflects or attracts that particular audience. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I had, I'm ashamed to say the kind of colors I had in, in, in the cover I had. Because that's uh-huh. not my audience, you know. But I wasn't thinking that, 
John, I don't know what I told you. The book was was twice this thick. Whoa. It was, it was twice this thick, and it wasn't until it was formatted to this size that I realized, oh, that's too much. Uh, wow. And so I took the second half of it. it. It turned out it was a perfect plot to stop. I took that, and I turned that into a curriculum, a training curriculum. So now that's published. Uh, but it's a training curriculum uh, hmm. on skills. This was the, the quality characteristics and behaviors, but the training curriculum is on skills. I briefly touched on them in here, but there's a whole curriculum on. Now, here's the skills. If you're working with young men, here's the skills that they need to practice. Well, now wow. I know to think about those kinds of things. What other what other kind of side uh, uh, marketing will you be able to do? Shirts. Right. I, do, I got a shirt that I wear all of the time. Well, I didn't think about any of that until after the book. So now I know mm -hmm. those are the things I thought. What are the byproducts nice. of the book? Nice. How did you celebrate once this book was finally finished and available for sale? I, I didn't even have a book signing. I didn't, and I didn't think about, that's another thing, I didn't think about a book signing, although I had been to several other people, friends of mine's real books, I'd been to their book signing, but it was just something that just wasn't on my radar to have a book signing. Hmm. I, I knew that I wanted to be in book fairs. You know, every day is, is a celebration for me. And so there was nothing, and people have asked me, did I want a book signing? And I said, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't really need that. I like the book fairs, but I don't yeah. necessarily need a book signing because I'm, I'm, I feel good. I feel celebrated. I feel good about the people that I know that are supporting me like yourself but well, that's a celebration I'm celebrating right now uh, yeah. just having this opportunity with a friend I mean how many people get that you read about that you know when you see celebrities on television and they talk about the, the other celebrities they grew up with and the athletes uh, with. Yeah. well I'm living that you know I'm on yeah. on the podcast with a guy that I admire <laughs> and I respect you know man it doesn't get any better than this you know so uh, I'm, I'm celebrating now tell us one thing that you would do differently for your next book uh, some of that some of that pre-planning that that, mm -hmm. that I'm talking about I um, I'm working on the next book now and I'm giving a lot I, one, one of the good things is is that the first book is done mm -hmm. so I'm not writing my first book You're right, <laughs> that's a difference right. yeah, <laughs> I can yeah. feel it you know I'm not trying to prove <laughs> anything I can write a book I know that that's the other mm -hmm. thing I know I can write a book because I've done it mm -hmm. so it I'm not dreaming about it and then hoping the dream comes true. Nice. Now I know to write the next book is not a dream come true, is work come true. You know, get get to work <laughs> and, get, and the book will come out, you know. And so that's part of it is just the, the, the monkey of doing your first book and can you do it and those any kind of doubts you might have. Can I really do it? And how's it going to look and how people going to act and all that's gone. Because I already mm. know how people will act, mm. how, how how to get the cover, how to how to get the editing, how to get the formatting. I, I know all of that. So now it's just let's do another one. You know, I came up with an idea, and I know how to carry it from from the idea to an end product because I've already done it. You know? nice. and it makes and it, it absolutely makes a big difference. It makes a tremendous mm. difference in 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 how you how you approach that next step. I feel very very good because I know what I'm doing. Even I'm right now, I'm in the planning stage 
but I know where it's going to go because I've been there before. Got it. Nice, nice. Now we're we're toward the end of our our episode of the show, and part of this wrap up is finding out from you and for the listeners, especially those who are stuck or maybe stuck along the process of working on their first book, mm-hmm. and they really want to finish. Share a short, actionable tip or a step-by-step process that you feel would be beneficial to someone who hasn't yet finished that book. The first one was think about the ultimate message you want your reader to get. And, and it doesn't, I don't think it matters whether it's a novel or, or, or nonfiction, fiction mm-hmm. or nonfiction. What, do you, what is it that you want to convey other than just the, the writing in the book? Number two, consider what things you want to say about the book. And that was one of the things I said. Are, the thing, are those things reflected in the book specifically? After it is published, you'll be doing a lot of speaking about the book. So think about the, some of those things. Imagine yourself speaking about it, but what are you going to say? Three, in the early planning, remain open to new ideas and perspectives you may consider in your writing. Now, so for me, what worked is not be dead set on, I got to say it this way and this is what I'm going to say. And this is how I'm going to say it. Remain open to open to perspectives, particularly if it's a book that you're interviewing other people because you can learn. Be able to articulate who your audience is. You know, you asked me about the audience here, and I don't know how well I articulate that. Well, in my new book I, that I'm writing, I'm, I'm very particular about knowing who my audience is. Five, do not think about how much money you want to make on the book. You know, do not think that you, you know, that you're writing a book and you're going to be a millionaire. You know, you may be, but don't let that guide your thinking. Don't let that guide your writing, you know, that whole writing process. Put that aside. That'll come if it comes and when it comes. Six, reread and reflect on previous chapters as you go along, making sure you're using the same voice, tone and language. Sometimes it can take us a while to write the book. And through your own life experiences, unbeknownst to you, you've changed the tone, a change the voice and even the language The uh, with respect to the, 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 the kind of words that you use to articulate certain things. Uh, make sure you're not saying the same thing the same way nine or ten times. You know, I found myself having to go back in my book and say, wait a minute, I said that that way already several times because that's the way I talk. And so change up how you you uh, express a certain kind of thing. And finally, number seven, don't be afraid to share some of your writing before you are complete. You know, I particularly is like, I don't want to share. I don't want nobody to know. You know, and now I learned shared with with critical friends. Let them read some parts of it, and don't be afraid of the of the uh, of suggestions. You don't have to take them all because everybody gonna have some. Everybody gonna have a suggestion. You should say this that way. You don't have to take them all, but don't be afraid of sharing and getting some of that because some of that can be very valuable. Particularly if you have critical friends that are writers uh, and people that you trust. The writing is the easy part. Have fun. Have fun. Don't stress yourself on it. Have fun. Enjoy. Explore. Be expressive. Be imaginative. And and but. By and large, enjoy it. It must be something that you're enjoying. What are you excited about working on next? I'm writing. It's it's going to be about men as well, but this book is going to be about men of color. Mm. And uh, this, the Admire Man was not. Uh, I'm writing a book about the challenges and triumphs of men of color. And it's going to have some interviews. And I want to make sure that I'm getting both perspectives. I want to get the, the, the challenges, but I also want to get the triumphs. 
And so we're going to cover things like education. We're going to cover things like incarceration, employment, uh, family life, community life. Uh, health is, a, is, a, is something very important to me. And so I want to cover topics like that and have men share the challenges and the triumphs, the victories they've had in those areas. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm particularly looking forward to the chapter on incarceration. You know, there's a there's mm-hmm. a lot of conversation uh, during this election year about the incarceration of men of color. Yeah. So I wanna I wanna explore that, but I wanna explore beyond the things that we're told about it. Um, fortunately, I I have a brother that was just released. Uh, he was incarcerated for over thirty years, and he was just released uh, a couple months ago. Uh, so I I told him about it, and 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 he's excited. I told him I want to. Not only do I want him to to be in the book, but I want him to be with me as I market the book. Um, I'm, you know, because he. He's, he's rejoining society, and I want him to join me. Wow. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that one. But but those other areas are important as well. Family life, employment, education is a big thing. And so I'm not giving lessons. I'm not teaching. People have asked me, well, what, what, what message? I want to tell stories. You know, and see. through those stories, you'll get the message. My name is Dr. Chris L. Hickey Sr., and I finished writing the book, Admired Man Why? The Making of an Admired Man. Thank you for finishing your book, Dr. Chris L. Hickey Sr., and thank you for sharing your message and your advice with the world. By the way, I did get permission to call him Chris for the purpose of this interview. As a military veteran, I know how important it is to respect titles and accomplishments that people have earned. So thanks again, Dr. Hickey, for the interview. For a quick review of what was covered in this episode, check out the show notes on your mobile app or at pleasefinishyourbook.com slash zero one zero. Hey, son. Cue the music that you created for us. Now, Erica, take it away. Did you learn enough to help you take the next step toward finishing your book? If so, share the show and let us know by visiting pleasefinishyourbook.com. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Hashtag pleasefinishyourbook.com.